0: The only way you invent the future is by deciding that you know what the future is that you want to create and you don't give a damn what anybody else thinks because that is the future that you are going to invent.
1: Don't try to be anything other than you and speak to the things that would move you in the world. And once you've got that, you're
0: free. We're no longer in a place where silence is helpful. Disrupt, have conversations. Welcome Welcome to to Love Love. This. Rabit, welcome to Love This. How are you, sir? Kia ora, yeah.
1: A OK. Uh, living the living a bit of the California dream at the moment. Um, seems like we have the tables have turned a little bit, and maybe California right now has a little bit more freedom than than New Zealand. So I have a bit more empathy for where you're at. So it's good to see you and talk to you. But um, yeah, it feels weird being a Kiwi away, seeing pain from afar. Yeah, kind of totally. sucks, you know.
0: Um. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show, like I feel like I've known you now for, I don't know, three or four years, and there's not many people that you, um, when you come into contact with them, you walk away and you're like, well, shit. (laughs) And you're definitely one of those people. I think I'm quite a visual person. And I feel like um, the evening after we met and had a big um, hang, etc., I was just like, I don't know, my vision of you is pretty much kind of like um, hurricane creative energy, man, and you sort of like step into it and then you step out of it and I'm a bit like, I don't know what happened, but um, it's so wonderful to uh, have you here and I'd be remiss if we didn't begin the show um, the way we always do by asking you what is the this that you currently love given the name of the podcast. Do you have something in your life that you're loving at the moment? Could be
2: anything.
1: I think it would be like curated control of power of my time. Like being able to kind of meticulously pick where I want my physical energy to be. Like I choose to be here. So I am here. <laughs> you know, I do not want to talk to that muppet. I will not talk to them. I will give this to that. You know what I mean? It's very. Uh, sometimes when you don't have options, you got a shotgun and embrace it all. But I think when you can have, like sniper direction for exactly where you choose that energy to be, I feel as, it's really powerful and lonely at times because obviously you know when you when you're a sniper you're the one bullet just flipping going for it but um at the same time net net the upside of having choice and freedom for where i choose to deploy my energy i think is probably one of the coolest things which i've been able to get over over time so it maybe i've had it the whole time i've just maybe only acknowledged it a bit more so whether that's just a little self-reflective mirror to myself and how i roll or um just being away from others but that's probably where i'd um where i'd probably get to
0: oh man what a great answer to that to that uh, to that question it's we'll come back to that um, a little bit later on but um, given that you're I don't know such a a globally recognised New Zealander you know to anyone listening and I do think most people will definitely be excited to um, to hear you on the show but you know you've got this long list of uh, great accolades right like You've been named in, like, Metro's Top New Zealanders of the Year. You've been nominated for Kiwi Bank New Zealand of the Year. And um, on LinkedIn, you're, like, super top three influential influences. You're sort of here. You're in San Fran. Um, Do you still feel connected to New Zealand? Which might sound like a – maybe that's a stupid question. But how do you see your connection to New Zealand with where you're at currently with creativity and entrepreneurial aspects?
1: yeah so logistically I've actually had the advantage that you know I I lived out of a suitcase for almost uh over 10 years when I was doing the pro snowboard thing and I was never in one place for more than 90 days so I think like physical energy is different to emotional energy so I was logistically in places but my heart or soul would be in different places so you know I've been back and forth from the states for the last 20 years now and when people say to me what's home it's like well you know my whānau is from Waipito East Coast, Gisborne. So Waipito Bay, with its population of twenty six, is home. Like my soul sits there. And then I grew up on a farm in Dargaville for my first memories of joy and family. And Farno, I from on a farm in Dargaville, so that's also home. My grandparents' like home of sanctuary where I was grew up is home. And then I lived in Fiji, and then Fiji was those first. Um, like memories of understanding like gratitude and perspective around wealth and people and you know my dad was uh, working for like a habitat for humanity type business so I understood um you know like depth of like support for others and then I came back to Christchurch and I grew up in Aranui and that's my hood so I'm like full Aranui like Aranui ventures to the to the death and my boys from Aranui are still my boys today and you know and then you go into snowboard world and then I lived in uh, Wanaka and then Wanaka's home because I've like that That gave me my freedom and expression of creativity to, to travel the world and then I travelled the world so I've you know I've been back and forth from the States for almost 20 years so Tahoe is also my soul sits in Tahoe because I've been there in that that kind of so everywhere I've gone I've always um, but the one place which isn't home home would be Auckland because I lived there but it wasn't home <laughs> and I don't know where that was but it's a feeling right and so to answer the question is um, physically I'm not there but um what i did realize the most over this last time is the liability of distance personally actually became an asset professionally where i would always feel i couldn't have an impact for others if i physically wasn't in the room with my energy and my time and what i'd bring into that room i always felt that when i'd get on a plane and i'd fly from auckland to san fran that i was now redundant and dispensable and i had no ability to make change or impact or help others or whatever and then when when lockdown happened what i realized is that everyone else was stuck in their house with a laptop and an internet connection in a room with a desk and i was like wait a second i'm in a laptop with a desk in a room your assets are the same as my assets but i know how this shit works because i've done it for 20 years so instantly my brain was like wait a second i know I'm like I've done this for 20 years. These guys are stuffed, so I just started going hard on other things and it turned in it was just a headspace shift. So so physically I'm not there, but I feel that intent can scale remotely and impact can as well even without physical presence. So so for a little long-winded, but homes always an interesting weird one for me when I when I when I think about that word
2: uh, we're um, we're obviously in level four lockdown again here in New Zealand which has its ups and downs oh eh, Beth <laughs> um, but at last level four lockdown um you did 70 interviews in four weeks. Um, is that correct? It got
1: aggressive yeah, <laughs>
0: that <was about> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: That's insane like the hurricane and, and the hurricane It seems like um, the intention yeah the hurricane. <laughs> And the intention behind that was, you know, to help Aotearoa and to help people kind of get through a tough time. Did you, did you have, like, good stuff come off the back of that? I imagine you did.
1: Yeah, so the genesis behind that, um, yeah, you know, you're right. So basically from level one, from day one till we finished lockdown, I just went hard full-time interviewing, you know, business leaders and all sorts of um, awesome Kiwis. So the reason why I did it was because, I have, like my external content is a one-way stream that other people consume but what people don't see is all the one-on-one messages that everyone would be texting or calling or FaceTiming or whatever me, right? And I could sense the tone of fear and frustration and, and loneliness and all these issues that people were now stuck at home and I was like, well, they're stuck with no outputs. What do I have that they don't? And now I've got access, right? I've got access. I've got a roller Okay. I'm going to selfishly milk my entire flip and roller decks for the biggest weapons that no one else can get to, and I'm gonna take their IP and give it to others. And that's why I always think about this idea of like learn, share, repeat. So on oh, my little bracelet, I always have it's got my little art out there, but it says learn, share, repeat, and it's literally like on my on my wrist that I've I've worn for years now, and the the, the thought is always How do you scale value to others and with that opportunity i saw it as a lot of people were hurting a lot of people need intel and advice and support and whatever and someone to listen to or talk to and the feedback channels from it were crazy because so much of it was i actually really needed that mentally to feel like i wasn't just alone you know and so it was a way of you know i guess selflessly creating connections for others through something that i could do Um, so they could get something so that that was it and only a couple of people actually clicked on everything I do there's only a few people that will call me out on what I'm actually doing because everyone else just thinks it's something but the real smart crew will actually click to what's actually happening and it's like you know chestnut checkers so Um, but yeah that was it and uh, I just kind of felt you know there's a table that's existed for Azers and I just flip and you know cut the table in half and made my own seat in the flipping middle of it and I'm going to be like alright well how do I now share this for others and whether it's be ip or 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 access or insights and knowledge and whatever it may be and i think um when people know the intent they give you a lot more leeway for the execution and so that was just part of my thing of my intent of like hey i've got some friends that are hurting and if they are that means that probably many others are as well so how do i what can i do without being physically there to to help them so that was that was the strategy, I guess, of of what I was thinking when I when I did it. But I'm not gonna lie, I was mentally stuffed because so much intel, so much thinking, so much ideas, so much everything—the baggage of that. My brain pretty much maxed out by the end of it. It was like four or five weeks. Yeah, it was it was pretty full on. I just literally cleared the calendar and just went talking to people and doing stuff. Yeah. It was it was yeah. a lot.
0: Oh, I've got a lot of things going on in my head while you're talking there. And two of them, which might sound like they're not connected, but they're really connected for, for me and led me to a great sort of, I don't know, exploration in more recent times of thinking about, like, everything from generational wealth to entrepreneurialism ism, to um, getting out of this, like, um, getting, getting through walls that creatives come up against. And So the two things are, maybe four months ago, within the space of, three weeks I sat and watched sort of two things. One was a presentation on security of data, which sounds um boring for a lot of creatives listening. And um it was until I in my head turned into something else. And then the other one was a like a DOCO on black holes. And the connection between the two of those for me was that as I was watching this data presentation, which was about protecting data, as soon as, in my head, I changed all of those headlines to, like, power systems, white supremacy, all of these things, protecting knowledge, and started taking in the information through that lens, I was like, god damn, this is a, this is a, roadmap, to pre- this is a roadmap to protecting power, you know? And then at the same time, I was watching this thing on how um, black holes operate and how they just eat, eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. Um, matter from around them and grow and grow, and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and even right down into like what happens when there's two black holes next to each other etc and I was just thinking really really like way way up you know around um, systems and protection of intel and um, how 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 much the systems that we're in um, benefit maybe that big black hole and there's a lot of going there's a lot of like eating of matter but there's not a lot of sharing back out the other way and something that I often try and do is figure out how much intel someone is prepared to give me on anything because to me that forms the basis of a really good relationship because I will give you anything I I'll give you anything I know from the first moment that I know it and something that I wanted to ask you about is for some people the journey um The journey into like business and, you know, um, capital raising and entrepreneurship is from a place of like coming up against walls and coming up against walls and then understanding a big picture and wanting to like being sick of it and wanting to get in there and change it. What has that journey for you been like and why did you why did you take it?
1: yeah so probably two parts the first i'll address the the black hole data thing of the way i see that when i think about it is um create over consume when those that are choosing to sit back reactively on defense and kind of just consume what's coming to them they just kind of there's no um thought process to create for themselves or how they what they think they could put into the world and the danger with most of the community the world that i see on consumption mode that black hole of is essentially a corporate engine for commerce behind it, which is using like, you know, human behaviors and them as the product and yada yada. We can get that's a totally side different thing. But in a nutshell is the consumers are actually the asset which get converted into commerce. I think of it like I'm going to create more than I consume. So then my I'm going the other way against traffic and if you think about those that create or entrepreneurs that start things or you think of either leaders or creators or whatever it may be you know the brave move forward you know and and the sheep stand back and watch and and i just always think of everything in terms of sport of offense first defense black um, like arrow's create versus consume and and when you look at your you know anyone's habits i just always think you know what's your if 50s in the middle are you ninety percent consume, ten percent create, or ninety percent create, ten percent consume? And then you find that the the geniuses and the and the gold and the the actual innovation and the new ideas and th- concepts and thought comes when it's creativity plus bravery. Because there's a million in, like creatives that nothing ever gets out because they have this layer of fear to just be like, yo, I'm gonna. This is the thing. And if, and I, the way I always think about it is. There's a, you know, saying I, I I said at a speech thing I interviewed, and it was, you know, innovation is bravery in action. Because if everyone's in one pod, if someone's going to go out and do something different, that means they need to step away from the pack. So innovation actually comes as a byproduct of the external execution of the brave ones who go away from the pack. So they need the creativity for the idea, plus the bravery is that, that, that execution. And when I th- see the amount of potential regret that other people have it's because they have the creativity but not the bravery and the worst is when i know people that have epic creativity but not enough bravery that pisses me off because at the end of the day fast forward 40 50 60 years they'll be old you know shin their pants and diapers or whatever at the flipping rest time with robots coming around and getting them their smoothies and they will be thinking about the shit that they didn't do because they weren't brave enough to try instead of the shoulda, coulda, you know of actually doing it so um the roundabout of that is i i'm just on full offense the entire time because I don't want to be 90 and be like, man, why didn't I try to dot, dot, dot. So my future regret is my biggest driver for me not to have that. So I just think of it that way.
2: I think um, that's so inspiring, man. Like the biggest thing everyone has to overcome really is that fear of failure. Like, do you you find that you just embrace that like do you do you celebrate those failures because surely there's got to be some like if you're just on full offense the whole time you know is it always going to go your way probably not Eh.
1: no so once again i take it back to sport you know lebron james is arguably the greatest basketball player of all time at the moment not not goat but of all at the moment but he'll still get 100 points scored on him he just keeps shooting and shooting and shooting and i just play the game where i think that you know i'm gonna play I, th- I think about it like basketball not soccer you know soccer you could have a whole game and it's zero zero at the end it's like meh you know basketball i want to play till it's the third overtime it's 128 to 128 two seconds to go and i take the last flipping and shot and we go for the dub that's a win so i but it's like shoot 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 so if you took the mentality of soccer in terms of scoring to basketball One is defense, one is offense. Let's sit back, let's play, blah. But in basketball, there's at least going to be one point scored, but the point is they keep going. But also in terms of the risk side of things is, you know, uh, rewind back a bit is my job as a professional snowboarder was almost to die every day. Like every single day I could have died. (laughs) Like, so just... So all I would see is a risk. Every day, every run, every trick, every photo, every like everything, everywhere was risk. So it's not that I fit, like, I saw it and lived it the entire time, so now when I think about business, I'm like, so now the consequences are emotional and not physical and I can go home with my ACLs intact and not a neck brace on yeah, okay, I'm going to put this idea out into the world. Okay. <laughs> you know? And when I went from, you know, snow to the street, I guess from, you know, from the from the, from the snow into the, the C-suite or whatever, would be, you know, I'm up at, be up at you know, five in the morning and sledding out to the backcountry, packing on 20 kgs of stuff, hiking up into the middle of nowhere, building it all up and then going and hitting it. And then you're saying, now I get to wear a T-shirt and have some long lunches in Ponsonby talking about some business <laughs> shit. Like, give me a break. Like harden up like what are we doing so it's just pers- i've just probably got way more perspective on what true risk actually is and i might my, the, my, the way i feel about it is obviously different to most and then when you layer on top because i did you know competitive sport for ages that mindset of elite sport transition to business just puts you at a way 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 different headspace to pretty much anyone else you've ever met because you've you've been to the bottom at so many levels physically and emotionally and spiritually and just everything like you're but then you also know peaks so you know what zero is because you've been there and you're injured and you're not getting paid and you know what a hundred is when you win and ten thousand people are screaming your name and you got the the party and the you know the the good stuff you you get that full range and you transition then to business and that's an entrepreneur it's zero and hero all in one yeah (laughs) so you know i think just the 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 joy of sport has transitioned so epically to business because the mindset shift changes the focus from you know, physical outputs to potential commercial or community or creative outputs. And when you can think of the formulas changing with you putting yourself in an equation as part of a different formula for a different game, that's all it is. Which is why you see so many weapons come out of sport into business, but then also so many failures and bad stuff mentally for pro athletes that also go the same because they can't make that transition mentally to take their skill sets and somewhere else and usually what happens is they get crafted and who they are based on what they did not who they were and that stuffs people up and I've, I've fought with that as well so that's so for the little thing but that's just how I kind of feel that's how I, that's how I think of it
2: I think that's really awesome. I think, <clears throat> like, the one thing, it seems, in your toolkit that you've got that heaps of people don't may- maybe have is the re- that reckless optimism. I've heard you describe that um, in yourself before. And that is, man, that is a weapon, hey? Like, because I imagine at every low point that reckless optimism can lift you out where others are stuck. Do you, do you like, are you pulling on that every day or is that sort of,
1: not every day but it's when it's when you've been to those spots but you also have self-awareness I think grows on you as you get a bit older as well and for me it has it was always there but I never really acknowledged it until a bit later then I started realizing oh this is where my energy's going my the, the tone of my you know my my soul is feeling or whatever it is that comes later but the the mindset game is the game like 100%. 100%. Your game in your head is you. And I never I never believed it. And like when I was 11, I remember seeing, like Michael Jordan did an interview and he said it was 80% mental, 20% physical. And I was like four foot two at know high And I couldn't, I was like, what? There's no way. It's like, no, if I get six foot six, I dunk, I'm going to be in the NBA. Your, your brain doesn't see it. And then you get a bit older and bigger and you realize the headspace game, that's when it comes down to the chess stuff too. Because, you know, when I look around and I see the future weapons of New Zealand, I think about who's playing chess who's actually long gaming the shit out who's really decoding like long game strategic chess with relationships and people and business and value or who's going like short-term transactions that is based on temporary title and position which is bullshit anyway because in 10 years everyone's got different positions but you know i just see the whole game differently so i kind of the one of the biggest things in the toolkit probably as you say is I try to reverse engineer others' intentions for what I know their actions are probably going to be, because then when you when you read the person for their 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 energy, then you can think, okay, if I'm and then you flip yourself in issues, okay, if I'm in their spot right now and you know it's not going quite well and I'm struggling for this or I'm doing that, then you can already see these red flags pop up with what you think they're going to do next based on their skill sets and their roller decks. So one of the biggest things that I've been probably really fortunate enough to be able to do is you know i can i can rate and read a relationship virtually and when i walk into a room i can read flipping everything it's like i'm iq dumb but eq off the flipping richter like i'll just walk straight into a room and i can just pick the whole thing out and i can even i can even pick if someone's like uh a one that's stressing out about his position or if it's three it's on the come up someone else that's playing the game someone else that directly is trying to get something from me someone else that's fake like i can just i can pick pretty much all of it most of the time and i think that's probably being one of the biggest um things but yeah to, to answer the point is it's it's more the the mind game of yourself um is more important for eq and soft skills than iq and hard skills i feel especially now because it's people-based business. Because as soon as you're at the, the top, it's it's do I like you, do I trust you, and do you I, execute? I
0: think that's um, so true in terms as well of, I started doing stuff like that pretty young, and a lot of that came from me trying to actually camouflage myself in rooms because, you know, I'm I've got some neurodiverse aspects to me, and I'm also gay. And so when I was a kid, so much of that was like, just bending myself to mirror other people, and so reading a space was like massively important and in some ways it's it's a real benefit to me now because I share some of those I share some of those skills, and that's where I put a certain amount of my trust, but I might not give you my hundred percent trust um, It takes quite a lot to shift me out of the bucket that I establish with someone once i've had that um, once i've had that read on me and the question I want to ask is. A lot of people who come from backgrounds where they've been in in some way historically um, or systematically marginalised I think have that superpower. It's a massive skill, right? But the superpower that they might not have is the bravery component. And I'm also well aware that innovation lies in like divergent thinking from status quo thinking within systems. So I feel like, I mean, I met you at an event called rare for rare, rare minds and talent. And so many of, you know, our people, let's say, fit into that. And they're, for whatever reason, in terms of valuing, um, themselves, that's the piece. But if they stepped into it, um, damn, we would have some like amazing entrepreneurs on our hands. Do you talk to a lot of people about that kind of thing?
1: For sure, 100%. It's, it's empowering the underdog, right? Um, because 95 99% of the time is those underdogs, if they work in an organization, aren't truly empowered or um, embraced. They sit to the sidelines, they let the odd one out, they... They are the they are the underdog. It's like the, they the, like the unwanted stepchild. It's like that's just kicking in the corner that is there because they got nowhere else. But there's no home, and that's why you know when we're talking about rare, it's you know these amazing weapons that exist in the creative industry. I remember when I stood up and talked, I kind of said the irony is for ninety nine, one hundred percent of the population, the creatives are the one percent, and then so for this thing to exist within the creative sector it means you're the one percent of the one percent. So how stuffed is that? <laughs> you know, And then you think of it, as a, it's like when you go, let's go into entrepreneurship and start a business. Cool, 95% of you fail. Okay, cool, let's do it anyway. Oh yeah, and then when you do it, and then within Māori DIM, only like 2 or 3% of VC funds go to Māori DIM to do it as well. Oh, okay, cool, so I got a 95% chance to fail anyway, so let's roll the dice. Sounds good. Yeah, I hit the 5%. Woo! And then I jump in, let's roll the dice again. Oh yeah, now you've got like 2% out of the 100 to win. Yay, and you still do it. It's it's. I don't know if it's just naive confidence of or pure you know just stubbornness and will to create things that you believe into existence i'm not sure but if i was a ai algorithm looking at the chances of the things that i should have done to what i've done yeah it's like i I would have i would i think i've hit the jackpot more than a few times and i just want more wins for others to do the same thing you know and I, i think about it in terms of breadcrumbs like what breadcrumbs are you leaving where like what What pieces of content and inspiration, what relationships, what connections do you create with others, what, like all these breadcrumbs, because that's how you scale impact. There's these little drips that shows, you know, I've said it ages, I always think about Rangi from Rotorua, this 15-year-old kid that's about to go to the skate park and smoke some weed with the boys or go and think of something else, you know. So how do you scale enough breadcrumbs for your own circle and their circle and their circle to get one of them so they could maybe say, Oh, yo, I could wear a t-shirt and start a company. Oh, mean, I could own a laptop and then do this online business. Oh, cool. I could dot, 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 you know, um, New Zealand needs more breadcrumbs. And the problem with the point, um, Beth, around like say minorities or underserved communities or whatever it may be, there's not enough people that have done it to leave breadcrumbs back for those to know that it can be done. And that's the biggest frustration point. So I feel that anytime someone is in a spot where they uh, have a different flavor of breadcrumbs, it is their responsibility and duty to do it, which is why a big shift for me mentally probably happened five or six years ago is, I remember one of my mentors said to me, name five people in New Zealand who look like you, roll like you, and have done what you've done. And I just, I was like, fuck. And so I stopped, I was like, shit, I can't even name three. He's like, yeah, there's no one. And he goes, that means like, yay, well done. But whatever, that means it's your responsibility that you have to do that for for that for all those who either look like you or roll like you or talk like you or act like you or whatever it is. And I still remember from you know 2008, the 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 CEO of um, a big organisation pulled me aside when I when I started one of my first companies. He said, "Listen to me very clearly." I still remember it. 2008. He goes. Don't change shit. Don't change the way you talk. Don't change the way you act. Don't change the way you dress. Don't change the way you treat anyone. Don't change the way you type, text, communicate, anything. Because that point of difference is exactly that authenticity. It's gonna like that's it. Don't change shit. And like, you know, moved up to Auckland, tried to buy some brown shiny shoes and a chickened blue shirt and shit and like that's like what am I doing? Like what the fuck? what am I doing? <laughs> that's not me. Stop that. And so I've never done it ever again. So to answer it, yeah, it's um a big part of my energy, I think, about how more breadcrumbs could get create generational breadcrumbs for others that you hit that you won't know happens until you're 50 or 60 or 70. Till literally I am 60 or 70 sitting at a cafe and flipping wherever and some 30 year old rolls up and be like yo you came and spoke at my school or hey I saw this thing that whatever it may be so I think about like intergenerational breadcrumbs not short term transactions for some clout or some social bullshit like whatever, <laughs> just chestnut checkers, you know,
2: it's like, fuck. The hearing you talk about authenticity and living it, man, like, you totally live it, like I personally believe that every human can su- can suspect uh, when someone is not being 100% authentic, like, we all kind of think, you know, we're smart enough to get away with it, but it, on some level, Every single person can feel that, and equally, every single person I believe can feel when when the person sitting across from them is one hundred percent authentic. And it it fascinates me, like you you love that, and kudos to you. And it fascinates me how you kind of you talk about um, this idea of kind of bridging the gap between the streets and the boardroom. And you've got to wonder, hey, like how much that authenticity helps to do that because it's it's helping those people who may seem somewhat intimidating at a CEO level lower their guard because across from them is sitting someone who's prepared to just be 100% open um, and it's almost giving you the opportunity to collect all the information that you need so that you can learn share repeat it's it's a beautiful thing that you're doing man
1: well like I, I, I appreciate it but the, how I feel about it is you can't what I've realised is you can't fake what I've done, how I've done it, for as long as I've done it, for that long, with that many people. You'd be with, exhausted. Because like, you can't, like a CEO can fake a soundbite for a, a, a 10 minute press conference. A first time uh, a potential employee can fake the first three rounds of interviews. Um, you'll get exposed after a three hour podcast. You'd get exposed after, you know, whatever. I just got to a point I realized, holy shit, there is literally probably hundreds if not thousands of pieces of content and hours and everything that I've put out there you't you, you, can't, you can't fake that because <laughs> at the start what I remember I felt was a lot of people and I'll be honest, I feel like it's a pretty honest show honest, honest, honest humans here. so many people thought I was a scam because I never sold anything <laughs> when I first started <laughs> because I was on social popping. But there was never a sell or a close ever, and there never has been, and there never will be. And I've never like I'm not an influencer. I don't do any of this shit. Like that's not. And what's the best? But I think about it is not a single person publicly would ever see what I was actually doing commercially. And I absolutely loved it because I love the idea. Like because what I do doesn't as a position or whatever. That's not me as a person, and it stuffed people up because they would like well. Where's, this, where's the Where's the sell? Like, what's the hook? Like, what's the what's the th- and, and it just stuffed people up so much. And I specifically remember, by design, two things. One on the, on the way out to Auckland when we were first going up, I said to my wife, "I don't want to be known as Robert the Snowboard Guy. I just want to be Rebet. And then a couple years later, I started making some moves and you know shaking a few bigger trees in various sectors. And I remember one of my uh, business mentors, uh, it was actually business partners, one was on the board of KiwiRail, the other one was on the board of uh, TVNZ. I pulled him aside one day and I said, Hey man, have you ever been in a meeting somewhere and someone's like, brought my name up? He's like, oh yeah bro, flipping all the time, your name's everywhere. And I was like, okay, cool. But how do they describe me? What's the soundbite? Is it media guy, snow guy, tech guy, speaker guy, social media guy? Is it like, there's a lot of guys, right? There's a lot of hats. And then he just goes, mate, there is so much confusion in the marketplace about who you are, what you're flipping doing. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly what I want. I was like, done. And so part of it too is, you know, it's the, as crazy as it may seem from afar, those that actually know and dig a bit deeper actually get it. Because where I'm playing with the way I'm doing it is no one's doing. So the majority think it's crazy. But then, you know, after uh the you know fr- the front side thing obviously um exited to such in such a publicist group my mentor said to me he goes the best bit about this move is that everyone already knows you're crazy but now they know that you're not nuts and there's a difference because when you're crazy and you don't execute you're just a young buck talking shit that doesn't know what's up when you're the crazy young buck that's talking shit but doing stuff that no one's done yet and you pull it off. You can't fake through that. So now, then, now everyone knows you're crazy, but not nuts. He said. So, you've now just got free reign. <laughs> and I was like, "You're right." He goes, "So just go harder. Just, just go harder. Who cares?" <laughs> and so, and so I did. so that was um, that's that's it. But yeah, the headspace of it, you're you're, you're totally right. <laughs> I just think it, it's funny. It's I tell funny. these stories to myself, which make make it even funnier. It's it's pretty good. <laughs>
2: take a little a uh, little shift in the direction of conversation for a minute like i um i have heard you talk a little bit about tall poppy syndrome in in new zealand and i guess it's kind of connected to what we were talking about before um you know people protecting ip and holding on to knowledge because knowledge is power right and um you know how much of that tall poppy syndrome does come from a place of fear where you know, those that are in power or those that are in control want to keep the knowledge to themselves and not necessarily, you know, share share it with others. Like are you do you feel I mean you're not here in New Zealand, but do you still see that tall poppy stuff kinda coming up regularly? Has it improved at all?
1: Yeah, so after I exited my stuff a couple of years ago, one of the things I was thinking about is how do you create a movement a moment to a movement and I had a moment and a pop, great. How do I scale this out? So, you know, Released a free um, uh, ebook for eight hundred thousand uh, New Zealand students. That basically a story of my life to give them some breadcrumbs around my story and what I've done. And then I, when we drove um, the length of the country and did a nationwide tour, going to speak to a whole bunch of um, kind of low socioeconomic areas and, and high schools and intermediates, and and literally drove the entire country and just like blocked out and just went and did it right because I knew that was a good thing to do. So I flipped and did it. And what I felt interesting about that trip on this mission around like cool how do we try and destroy the tool poppy is the same individual with the same circumstances in a different location had totally different things they were battling like way far up north it was okay shit I gotta watch out for pee then I come to Auckland then I had my gangs and then I went down to you know um, lower North Island and there was uh, suicide then I get to the South Island then it was loneliness and depression then I get down further down south and then it was um it was domestic violence at home to the children, and it was so crazy thinking about the various challenges that all these people were having, but they were the same 15-year-old kid that was at home or whatever. Um, the tall poppy thing, I because fe- I don't know where it came from because it was a year before I was born, obviously, but what I have felt with it anyway, from what I've seen, is the the pullback mentality of, you know, the the best way I kind of think about it is I was watching this documentary with ASAP Rocky and A$AP Rocky and Snoop Dogg and Snoop Dogg was talking to him about levels and he was saying, you know, you and all your friends are at this one level and if you want to be great, the only two ways that's going to happen is they need to come with you or you're going to have to leave them behind. And, but what he was talking about is the gap, the gap between where your greatness can be to where they are and those that surround you. And I think about the gap of those that don't push up are those that usually aren't brave enough to try what they actually want to do. And then those that pull back down are those that can see someone else with enough bra- more bravery than them to do it. So weirdly enough, the thing that's holding back others is their own kind of fear on themselves for what they're not going after, what they they are not. And so it's tough because if you put that uncomfortable mirror to most people, that's when that, you know, that jealousy and envy and tall popping, all that shit happens, right? So in, in my world, I want to, you know, uh put spotlights on the crazies, weird is wonderful, all these young butts flip and go for it. You know, if you can do it, so and, I, blah, blah. And the way I think in my head is if I can just be the one of the first like other people have crushed it. There's so many awesome Kiwis doing good stuff. But if I'm happy to get super loud about a bunch of stuff to help empower others remotely, roll the bus over me. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm good. Like <laughs> sweet which means you get so much more leeway to try and to do and to push um but that that's been tough to see and i think over time i've i've i always felt it but now i've just probably become more aware of it because i've been able to fight through the other side and the bit that gets me bummed is how many amazing other kiwis could have done more if they were braver how many awesome epic ideas and businesses and and creations and things would have come into the world if these crew wouldn't um have either been supported around and so you know i was on a call the other day with a bunch of a bunch of the stuff i do is never seen publicly but you know yesterday i was a couple of other days i was on the phone with a bunch of um young maori and pacifica that you know hadn't done well at school life problems and all sorts but they're trying to sort of get into the market i said look write a list down of the top 20 people that you around in your circle right now on the left hand side boom, boom, one through 20 and then just give them a plus one if they add fuel to the fire for your dreams and your future or do they put water on it with what they talk about where you're at what you do and all that and just run a score and at the end of it what's your number if it's flipping you know minus 15 it's pretty clear you're surrounded by a bunch of muppets if it's plus 15 sweet you got a supportive crew and for external execution of good stuff for others they need to get educated but before that they need to get, become aware so if i can put some sparks to make them aware of at least what's around them then they'll be like oh i'm getting educated oh maybe i need to guess 95% of the circle because this is shit and I deserve better you know it's these little things of how you do it and it's my own way I've thought about it in my work because I guess I'm pretty visual but um I I just I want more New Zealanders to win (laughs) you know New Zealand wins when New Zealanders win and I just want more winning (laughs) regardless whether I'm on the team or not (laughs) you know
0: yeah that's awesome man. I'm also a visual person so I love the idea of the visual you know the the gap and having to leave To make it up there. And I feel like so many wonderful people I know. Are in that space of like. They're just in the gap. And it's like. As you say. The belief to keep going versus not going. And then you know. There's a lot of discussion around. How people feel. When they're at that place. In terms of. um, Imposter syndrome and stuff. And people have so many different articulations of imposter syndrome and the the goal to solving that. Because I hear a lot that the goal to solving imposter syndrome is just like some polite version of you got to get over it, you know? And then the other day I was listening to Viola Davis, actor, writer, um, producer, um, and she she sort of talked about it for the first time that really hit home with me, where she said, um, I don't subscribe to that at all, actually. You know, she said, I'm, I'm technically very successful and I do have a large part large part of my relationship to myself where I'm constantly questioning whether I still belong or if I'm doing enough or never do I deserve it. But the, the questioning part, she said everyone great that I've ever met who's in the category of goat um, also has that. They haven't gotten over imposter syndrome. They just have found a way to cope with it and then at the same time I talk to a lot of young people who um, are frustrated because they feel that what's holding them back is that they should be getting over it and I don't want to tell anyone how to deal with it but I am trying to have more discussions around how people talk about that stuff because you are a super confident man who believes um, but I'm imagining you've also been through some I don't know vulnerable self-talk About stuff, and you must just have a way through that. That probably sits somewhere in sports psychology.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of loaded, right? Because when you talk about bravery and external execution, especially publicly, it's this battle of—if you've been truly honest—it's a battle of confidence versus ego, right? It's how much am I fully confident in my skill sets with what I believe mixed with obviously the passion to go after I right after against public flexing and shit. And one of my toughest things I've always found as it's not profile it's probably not the word I hate that that word or like um, energy has grown publicly is what part of this is my ego? what part of this is, is my confidence? what part of this is the because the, this the, the craziest thing about when you' intent is to do good, and the bigger your energy gets the more influence you can have the more you can help others so many would use the shield of i'm just going to just go as hard as i can and blah blah, blah. and then the more attention comes to me then i want to do for others but that's just like the you know tobacco companies in 1980 giving a $1 million dollars to charity but then t- spending 10 million dollars saying that they spent the million right that's not the hook and so for me it's got it's getting a it's got a lot easier over time because when you're in your early 20s and, you know, I talk about this thing of like life regrettage percentage where at 30 years old I think I could have got there by the time I was 27 but I had too much ego in my early 20s thinking I could do everything myself. So I lost three lost three years at 30 which was 10%, right? So I'd rather have a life regrettage percentage of 10% battling ego from my early 20s than getting stuck in a lane thinking that you can do everything yourself forever and that's when it comes to team and whatever but that, that battle's tough, right, because To inspire people you need to be made aware but to be made aware you've got to I guess go louder with your thoughts and whether they're right or wrong and plenty of times I'm wrong but everyone knows I'm more than happy to talk about it the entire thing publicly so it takes the ammo away from them right because you can do it but that's probably the one I've I've definitely it's not fighting but sometimes the kool-aid can be dangerous if you don't know it's spiked (laughs) right (laughs) like if if, and that's why it's that circle you know so i've got a pretty flipping good circle you know i'll have if i go a bit wide on something like um like recently i went a bit wide on something and someone called me out for it and i didn't back down from it but i stopped and i said is is this my truth of what i actually said i was like yeah it actually is but people just don't like this opinion but that's actually what i feel so then as soon as i address it it's okay so i think the danger is when you've got spiked kool-aid but you don't know that the party's for someone else (laughs) you know and you're like you're there <laughs> and you and that's so dang i can see it happening all the time and the majority of people that's happening to is because i sound really bad is middle-aged white dudes on linkedin that are just sprouts waxing oh, lyrical like they know everything bad, about everything eh? when there are way more smarter young people way more smarter females way more smarter thing and so one of the things i've been talking about a little bit is man i wish there were some flipping brave women just to say some cool shit or some younger people because Michelle Dickinson made a really good point and so we're at CS in Vegas the Consumer Electronics Trade Show like 180,000 people blah blah we're at dinner with her and her husband Joe and we're looking around and she goes you know what's stuffed up about this place and I'm like well obviously it's Vegas we am about to get wasted but apart from that um, she goes it's 95% men and I was like Are you, apart from the promo girls and shit and I was like yeah it's a bit I mean it's a, of course it's a sausage feast it's like electronics and blah, blah blah and she goes well, if these are the if 95% of the futures technologies and products and services are all being created by people, which is 95% skewed towards men, then that's actually going to be a a, um, a disservice to the actual true representation of humanity. I was like, damn, and it, she's right, she's right. And so one of the things I like to do, and I I think in many ways I'd like I'm not trying to compare myself to Rob Campbell, um, from you know corporate gnarly mega dog CEO of everything guy. But I love that he uses his physical representation to promote the exact opposite of what he physically is. <laughs> like, he talks about pay equality and women and Sorry. just everything that's not an old, rich, billionaire white dude. I flip and think it's great. But there's more, you know... I'm not saying that people listen to that more, but um, I just think it's dangerous when the majority of consumption... Of thoughts and ideas is coming from such a select few that when, by default, potentially because there is more ego driving those outputs than actual confidence or intent for others.
2: Yeah, That's I think I, I think that is a watch out. <laughs> hey, like if um, if you genuinely are concerned about making sure that you know there's you know equal opportunity for everyone, so that we all benefit from all the incredible humans that exist in the world, you need to give those people the opportunities, not talk about the opportunities, right? So. You know what you're doing in terms of sharing as much as you can leaving those breadcrumbs um is doing that and um and you're not looking for i don't know not looking for like some kind of influential perks off the back of it it's just genuine comes from a good place so the power of like doing things when they're good intentioned is hugely important
1: yeah F- from my perspective i think there's so much Amazing IP and thinking and strategy and thought and perspectives that don't get heard by default because the loudest in the room Sometimes are just some rah-rah dudes on some bullshit and I've done it a couple of times for sure That's just because it's in my head. I'm just gonna say it and I do it anyway, you know, it's not that it's not as considered, but um, I think if someone could figure out a way to scale more bravery for others that don't look like those who just are It gives different lenses to give a better perspective on things and I think that's good and it's part of it as well which is why I can talk to a 15 year old homeless flipping dude or some 10 year old kid or some hundred year old business tycoon or it's flat for me like one thing I would like to hype myself on is I get I'm proud of it for myself is I'll treat everyone exactly the same I don't give a shit who you are whatever it's flat to me I don't see I don't see hierarchy I can feel power but I don't, I don't see hierarchy. And and I think when you have that, you're not playing their game because you're just rolling different, you know? Um, and I think it helps a lot more when you don't look like and roll like or talk like anyone else. They see it as a liability. You're actually an asset because when you walk into the flipping room and everyone else looks the same and you've got a different point of view and you can back it up you and you need nothing from them and you can be authentically yourself, you hold all the power because... It, it, you 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 can own it, and so the, I always think about the ninja moves of always how to flip it. Like, how do you flip it? You know, at the end of eight mile, he wins because he talks shit about himself first, takes away all the ammunition, the other people can't do anything, and Eminem wins. Yay! Well, you know, and in, in life, I think it's the same. How do you you know flip the liability into the asset, empower that for yourself, and then use that platform to empower, uh, to empower and potentially help help others? And I th- that's the That's the ninja move, right? That's it.
2: I I am um, super keen uh, to chat to you a little bit about, like, I guess the differences between navigating COVID uh, in San Fran versus, like, what the experience that, you know, we're kind of having here in New Zealand. Like, um, it feels like our way, uh, we're so in it right now, you know, level four. And um, the uniting against um, COVID-19, which was uh, awesome work by Clemenger, Uh, BBDO in Wellington like that is a powerful message and it feels like the nation is kind of united together in order to fight this are you seeing that same thing play out in the US in terms of uniting against a pandemic or is it a somewhat different approach
1: the name of this country is called the United States of America this is any place that is anything but united yeah right (laughs) at all full stop It is a whole bunch of different countries and their own different program, a whole bunch of different leaders with their own thing. But the sad bit, maybe, I don't know if it's sad, but maybe the macro view on it would be when the world shut down, New Zealand was the oasis and here was a toxic landscape of shit that everyone was bailing out of the cities and everything went to zero and it was just stuffed, right? Now, fast forward later, the strategies have been implemented differently now, the energy of the world is looking to New Zealand right now going, yo, what's up with these dudes? Like, what? Like, last night we were seeing... Um, what was last night? There's, you know, uh, NFL, the Raiders were playing, and it was, you know, 50,000 people in Vegas, everyone's going nuts, and everything's back open, everyone's, you know, and then it flips. And so once again, maybe the assets turned into the liability because potentially people question questioning strategy. And without getting into the politics of it, what started out here was definitely fear without a doubt but now that's kind of turned into freedom of yay we can do it again so it's become quite empowering for the people which is good Um, but then the problem with that politically on top of it is you've obviously got you know um, science got politicized then it became about health became about freedom and blue versus red and blah blah blah. you know so that sucks (laughs) but um, you know speaking from first-hand experience because I flippin' got COVID um, it's some real shit. It stuffed me up. Like it was, uh, you know, I'm pro I'm, I weigh a few more kgs with some Corona pounds than I did in my snowboard days, but I can still, I'm an active human. I'm not on a yeah. fucking wheelchair. I'm, you know, mid thirties, I'm doing some stuff. I walked from my couch out to the front bench at the front of the house, 10 meters. And I had to sit down and stop. Couldn't walk. Oh,
2: dude. My
1: lungs were stuffed. It was the way I can best feel it too was, it, it was like I was at the, you know, top of Mount Cook trying to hike it up with no oxygen to try and snowboard. Or someone was just literally sitting on your chest the entire time. And so I can totally see how if you get that shit and you're not vaccinated or and if you're older and you've got problems, you are stuffed. Absolutely stuffed. But if you've had, now it's different. It was vaccination strategies changing. So um, is it real? Yes. Has it been taken out of proportion in some places? Yep. But has it also been tailored, taken not seriously in others? 100% e.g. those that are not vaccinated that have gone anti-vax and now a bunch of people are dying you know because they're not that could have and then you're watching all these regret videos and stuff come out around all these hardline my freedom my choice I, I get all that but um I think it's never a good move when science gets politicized so um it's gone from fear to freedom and now it's trying to get again on the comeback and unfortunately when I look at New Zealand now and I haven't been there so I don't no, but from my circle and everyone it feels that the it feels like the tone has changed with the team because the team is now questioning the strategy <laughs> and at the end of, you know you, you go behind the scenes of that and there's supply chain issues and tech issues and blah blah like all that um we're not going to get into politics no. or else we all get fired but um yeah it's just it's become very clear there's always l- levels to the shit and layers to conversations and what i've realized now i guess i've Force my own into our own seat what you see from the ground is never what's happening at the top and what you see at the ground has always been usually pre from ages ago and there's always such a different long thing that's why i just in some ways i hate um unpure narratives when people are smart enough actually know what's going on that's like the worst because then you just like then you just don't have faith in humanity because those that you're looking at to trust you know isn't real so then you it makes you question everything it's like ah fuck Um, Which is why, my friends, I will never get into politics ever because I think I'd be fired in the first day because I'd tell someone to get stuffed and then I wouldn't have a meeting about a meeting and it'd be all over.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not political enough. That's the problem.
1: Uh, It's, you know, it's funny. No one wants to talk about politics until politics directly affects every single person's livelihood, their freedom and everything directly. As soon as it affects you directly, then you give a shit real quick. Um, So... Yeah, so I won't step there, but it's definitely, um, it's flipped.
0: Well, team, thank you very much for stopping by and having a chat, Robbie. I feel like I do see you more in video than in person, but maybe when the world opens up, we can change that. Maybe I'll come to you, you know? Maybe we'll flip it. But um, it's been, yeah, it's been... Um, uh, it's been so, every time I talk to you it's i everything you say is um honest and insightful and um I always walk away and connect a bunch of dots later so thank you very much to both of you for um for having a chat um, and yeah thanks for being real. It
2: really has been real appreciate that
1: it come it comes at a cost and that cost is easier to stomach when you need nothing from anyone else, <laughs> which becomes empowering. I, I always think about if, if, you know, if miraculously you just had 100G just dropping into your bank account to do whatever, would you still act the same and do the same? And the reality is everyone wouldn't. Everyone would roll different. And how they roll is actually who they are, actually. You yeah. know, so, I, you know, we, it's tough to navigate when you exist in bigger ecosystems but um the the battle for your own to to, to kind of fight for your own bravery feels so much a hundred times better when you actually pull it off because it's been you versus yourself than someone giving you it or you know whatever and i think the story's way doper when the struggles have been way harder you know i not a single person that know that that knows me like everyone knows. You know, I don't know. Hood to good, basically. But I know that my bottoms and you know, paying fifty bucks to live in a bathroom with no heating. i put my chuck my shit in the bathtub and put a foam mattress on the ground. Like that was where I'm from. Cool. So now wherever I get to, that story's so much doper because it was so much harder. <laughs> and when you think of narrative and long game, you can't make that shit up. So if you're fighting your own bravery think about your own story of how much doper will it be if you actually go and then break that and do that to make the story better. Storytelling.
2: Super inspiring. Thank you.
1: Love your work team. Appreciate it anytime.